For the members of this congregation and others who attend here regularly, this is our stomping ground. These proceedings are pretty familiar, and we are within our comfort zone by being here together and welcoming people from other faiths and traditions unlike our own. For at least one imam, for the rabbi, for the guest minister, uh, we are not strangers. We have walked together before, and we have shared hope that we might do uh, a little more of that and become better at our conversations and understanding with one another. For any of you who have not visited here before, you're coming here today and showing willingness to be together and perhaps work together is an act of courage. And I believe a step toward healing the deep and dangerous divisions in our world. Most particularly today, we wish to declare that we are not afraid of our Muslim brothers and sisters and neighbors and friends. I can think of nothing more toxic to the human condition than fear. Any number of places we can read that fear and anger are two faces of the same coin. Building relationships across them, across what might otherwise be gaping canyons of misunderstanding and mistrust goes a long way to alleviate the anxiety that might foster such fear or anger. When those relationships spring from standing in integrity with our respective faiths, how can we fail to create anything other than that which is noble and worthy and good? Again, I thank all of you for coming. I welcome Imam Orson Elami from Masjid Al-Taqwa. I welcome uh, Reverend Chris Broadwell from Grace Methodist Church. I welcome Rabbi John D. Benedetti from B'nai Zion Congregation and Reverend John Henson from Church for the Highlands. And I very much look forward to hearing from those of you who are speaking today. Imam, if you would please come lead us in some words or join, uh, speak to us. With the name of God, the most gracious, most merciful, the merciful Redeemer, the merciful Benefactor, the Lord of all of the systems of knowledge, the Lord of all of the world. I greet you, dear beloved believers in Almighty God, as I say to those, you my Christian brothers and sisters, and I hope that's okay for me to call you brothers and sisters, but I say to you as Jesus the Christ would say, peace be unto you. For my sister, Rabbi Janna, Shalom, and for the Muslim Brothers and sisters are here. Assalamu alaikum. This occasion, and I'm a little nervous, 
But that's because of my love for you as devotees of Almighty God. When I was asked to participate in this program today, and as your name suggested me, All Souls Unitarian Universalist Church, and I say to Reverend Barbara Jarrell and you, the members here of this congregation, I am greatly touched by what you had decided to do in showing respect for us, though we may be different in terms of the label. We are those who have accepted the religion of El-Islam. And certainly we know that that name, it implies the peace, and we have come together in peace. I was asked by Reverend Gerald to recite some of the Quranic Arabic, and I'd mentioned to her, normally in our services, though I mentioned Quranic Arabic words, we generally speak in the English because there are not too many of us that speak Arabic. And I'm going to read some very short passages, and I'll read others in English, but I do have a timer. I got in a little trouble on a program we had uh, Monday, Rabbi. <laughs> and uh, so I'm just, I'm just so grateful. And you know, before I do this reading, in my studies of science, I've always been told that the heart is the strongest muscle in the body. And it pumps 24-7, as the youngsters say. It's always pumping. And the love and respect that you have shown me, whenever I come here and we're working with our interfaith group, you've always shown us much love. And I really do appreciate that. May God continue to bless you in your efforts of unity. Let me begin by reading the first ayat. Ayat, it means sign. And I thought this one passage, this one verse was very befitting. And in the Arabic, it begins, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim, with the name of God, most gracious, most merciful. يَا أَيَّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا بِالْأُكَدْ With the name of God, most gracious, most merciful. O ye who believe, fulfill all obligations. Now that's indicative of all of us. No matter what our religious preference may be, that is indicative for all of us, that we fulfill our obligations. And if you are those who are dutiful, if you are steadfast, if you are sincere in your heart, and I'm often reminded of the teachings of Jesus where he referred to the heart, to the heart. And sometimes we say, well, the heart of the matter is we are referring constantly to the heart and we tell our loved ones, I love you with all of my heart. The next passage that we will read in the Arabic. This particular surah or chapter, it is known as Asr. 
or time through the ages. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Every reading that we do from the Quran, and I'm also a student of the Bible, and I do have a Torah of that, but every reading that we do from Scripture, we begin by saying, with the name of God, most gracious, most merciful. Why do we do that? Because we have to realize that we are to take our souls, our minds, and our hearts to our respective books, and we are abandoning what we feel that we know. We read because we want to know what is it that God is saying to us. So I'm shutting off my little mind, and I want God to talk to me. So in this reading, it says, Wal us, in al insana la fikus, illaladina amanu amelusalihat, what I was saw bil hak, what I was saw bisab. By the token of time through the ages, verily man is in loss, except such as have faith and do righteous deeds and join together in the mutual teachings of truth and of patience and constancy. And finally, from the Surah 5, entitled Maida, meaning the table spread, Ayata verse 48, and I will just read the English. To thee we sent the scripture in truth, confirming the scripture that came before it, and guarding it in safety. So judge between them in what God has revealed, and follow not their vain desires, diverging from the truth that has come to thee. To each among you have we prescribed a law and an open way. If God had so willed, he would have made you a single people. But his plan is to test you in what he has given you. So strive as in a race in all virtue. The goal of you all is to God. It is he that will show you the truth of the matter in which ye dispute. And God has said he has made us nations and tribes that we might know each other, not that we might despise one another. So I thank you for this time. I thank you for inviting us. We look forward any time that we can to come together for the betterment of humanity. One soul, one humanity. And in those final days, what is known as Maliki Yomidin, the master of the day of judgment. We all believe in a time of judgment, and we are being judged right now. I look forward to hearing my brother, Pastor Henson, because when we initially decided we were going to do this program, I was called by Pastor, my Reverend Gerald, and she had mentioned to me how they would like to get together, and she had talked to John, and I was so thrilled over the phone. I'm like, wow, I got to go back and tell the Muslims. They're inviting us out, showing more respect for us than many of those who are Muslims in standing up. Fear is really something. You know, we have a program called Fear Factor. But if you are a believer in Almighty God, there is no fear. Our fear, it is only to be 
fearing Almighty God. Thank you very much. Peace be unto you. As soon as you started speaking Arabic, the birds came to listen. Did you notice? It was, I'm embarrassed to tell you, it was very distracting. It was awesome and distracting. And now they're gone. See, they knew I was going to do some Hebrew. I have a true story I'd like to tell you. Um, I heard about it. It's about a community that's not far away from us in Arkansas. And it's a community where there's a small Jewish population, smaller even than in Shreveport, and we're only about 400 people. But they wanted to, they'd been meeting together at people's houses, and they wanted to have one structure. They wanted to have a synagogue. And so they found a home that was, it's a, a, a university town. They found a home that was right on the outskirts of the university so that the students, the professors, and the community people could come in and could worship together. And they found a home that had a structure that would have lent very well to being used as a synagogue. And so they approached the city council, and a lot of people came and complained, and, you know, it's the traffic, and it's the whatever, and they wouldn't let them buy this property and use it as a synagogue. About a week later at a Rotary Club meeting, there was one of the most prominent builders in town heard about it, and he listened to what they, he heard the arguments were, and he said, you know, they're not complaining because they think there's going to be traffic on their street. We're not talking about a lot of traffic. They vetoed it because it was a Jewish synagogue. And he said, that's not going to happen on my watch. I mean, this is America, and that shouldn't happen. And it turned out that this man was Muslim, that his family came from what he calls Palestine, were kicked out of their homes. And so he approached the president of the congregation, of the Jewish congregation, and said, this is wrong. We're in America. They can't keep you from worshiping and having a place because you're Jewish, and I think that's what happened. And so whatever I can do to help you, you have all of my equipment, my workers to help you. And they found another place, another location, and they built a center that was a synagogue, but it was also a community center, so the Muslims could pray there, the Jews could pray there. The president of the congregation and this construction guy, this man, they didn't consider themselves like very knowledgeable Muslim or very knowledgeable Jews. They were just people trying to do the best they can. Now they consider each other brothers. They've become very friendly, and uh, they watch each other's back all the time, and that created a community. Well, I'm sad to tell you that at first the Muslim man, his family was very angry with him. He said, you know, those Jews, those are the ones who kicked us out of our homes. And the man said... I know, I still hurt, I remember that. He said, but we can't forget what has happened to us in our past. But I now live in America, I'm trying to raise my children, and I want this to be the world I want it to be, and it's going to start today. Starting today, I'm going to make this world the place I need it to be. I don't want it to be a place where people are hurting each other and hating each other. I want it to be a peace, a place where there's peace, where people are living together as friends, as brothers, as neighbors. We know that our faiths are, that we're cousins. We know that what we have together is a shared heritage. So I'm not going to let that hate interfere with the world I want to see. True story happening right near us. That's the world I want. When he said, starting now, I'll remember the past, but I'm not going to let it guide who we are starting now. I want this to be the world that I want to see happen. 
that's how I started living my life. And if you open up to the center sheet, the sideways one, you will see a song I'd like to sing with you that says that peace will yet come upon us and upon all the world. And it's in Hebrew and it's in Arabic. So the word you need to know in Arabic is salam, which the imam had just taught us. Salam means peace, hello and goodbye. And the same word in Hebrew is shalom, which is peace, hello and goodbye. You need to be able to do those. But there are other words in here. The words are od yavo, shalom aleinu. Yet peace will come upon us, v'al kulam, and on everyone. Salam aleinu v'al kol ha'olam, peace upon us and the whole world. Od yavo, shalom aleinu. Od yavo, shalom aleinu. Od yavo, shalom aleinu v'al kulam. Do that again. Do that one again. Salam. Aleinu ve al kol haolam. Salam. Salam. Now, not everybody's singing, so at least you can clap with me. O Javo Shalom Aleinu. O Javo Shalom Aleinu. O Javo Shalom Aleinu ve al kulam. O Javo Shalom Aleinu. O Javo Shalom Aleinu, O Javo Shalom Aleinu, Ve'al Kulam. Salam, Aleinu Ve'al Kol Ha'olam. Salam, Salam. Salam, Aleinu Ve'al Kol Ha'olam. Salam, Salam. One more time, just you clapping, go. O Javo Shalom Aleinu, O Javo Shalom Aleinu, O Javo Shalom Aleinu, Ve'al Kulam. Salam, Shalom. There's a bar up here. <laughs> and with it being a Unitarian Universalist church, I mean, I'm thinking, this probably isn't just water, right? <laughs> liquid, liquid courage. There are two others up here, so Rabbi and Imam, you missed out uh, on the good stuff up here. Have you ever had one of those dreams where... It just feels real, where you are walking through uh, some journey or you are experiencing something that you've longed for all of your life, and it's happening. And it's one of those where, you know, you pinch yourself in the midst of the dream to see if it's real, and, you, you know, it, it works. You're, it is real, you discover and uh, maybe it's uh, that you are dreaming that you're skinny, right? And um, 
you are uh, able to, um, to look the way that you want, or maybe it was the Powerball, that you won the Powerball. Anybody actually win that? <laughs> Somebody in Louisiana did win. And Barbara, you better hope that they tithed out of that this morning. I, I have this recurring dream of being a Pentecostal TV preacher. And um, I really don't have the hair for that. But of being, uh, having my own TV show and uh, having my own jet plane and my own Benz, or just any Benz, um, and being able to experience uh, all of the, the stuff, you know, being able to preach to hundreds of thousands of people, uh, maybe even having a mullet like Joel Osteen, and just living that life. I mean, that's, that's kind of the dream that I have. And then I wake up to reality. Uh, there's a pickup, not a Mercedes-Benz. Um, there's gray hair, not pink hair or anything else. And I realize that reality is upon me. Uh, as we think about what it means for us to come together, and you've heard words about a better world, a better existence, a common humanity, it just seems like a dream that we want to be real, but we wake up and discover that that's not the reality. N.T. Wright, who was the uh, Bishop of Durham, writes about a dream, and it got me thinking as I, I read this recently about the dream we have for the world. And he says, I had a dream the other night, a powerful, interesting dream. And the really frustrating thing is that I can't remember what it was about. Have you ever had one of those? I had a flash of it as I woke up, enough to make me think how extraordinary and meaningful it was. And then it was gone. Our passion for justice often seems like that, he says. We dream the dream of justice. We glimpse for a moment a world at one, a world put to rights, a world where things work out, where societies function fairly and efficiently. And then we awake and come back to reality. That's kind of sad, isn't it? This morning, we realized that there are 4.6 million refugees from Syria, homeless, wandering, not finding much hospitality. That there is the rise and expansion of ISIS now branching out uh, in so many places. And just this past week, we've seen this in northern Africa and uh, getting into central Africa and even incidents that happen here in our own homeland in the name of ISIS. We see racism continuing to be a reality in our communities, that it is still firmly embedded in our institutions. And sometimes we say, if we're white, we say, racism, I think, I thought we, we're over that. We don't have that problem anymore. How wrong we are. And we see this in our society. We also see in just this past year the average of one mass shooting a day in our nation. On average, one mass shooting 
per day. You've probably heard the statistic, sometimes debated, but 22 veterans who commit suicide every day. It may not be that high, but it's alarming. We know here in Shreveport, Bossier, that there are at least 23,000 children who live in poverty. We have much work to do, and as we awaken from our dreams of what the world should look like, we see that there is a very different reality. We wake up in a sweat thinking, what is the world going to become? Just when I think the world is getting better, the reality of all these current events is quite discouraging. Now, pastors or ministers, others who get up either on a Sunday morning if your Sabbath is Saturday or uh, on Monday morning if not, uh, you wake up seeing the world that way with great discouragement. You think, what in the world is the world coming to be? But we all feel that way, don't we, at different times? We feel like uh, whatever it is that we're doing is not making a difference. So how do we do it? What in the world do we do to work in such a way that we are doing God's work in the world? How is it that we can make this world a better place? As we look throughout history, we see attempt after attempt. And maybe in your congregation, you've talked about this for a long time. You, you hold it up as an ideal. I know uh, just in our tradition with Advent and Christmas, we talk about joy and peace and hope. And we sing songs about all these things when uh, there are all kinds of acts of violence and despair and poverty all around us. Is it real? How could it ever be real? Well, that's a big question, and there's no way I can come up with a, a, a simple answer to that in the few minutes here remaining. But I do want to direct you to the word partnership. That I believe the way for us to be able to accomplish that dream, to find that that dream can actually come true, is something that happens through partnership through us working together to be able to bring things into reality. One of the uh, texts from our scripture, uh, that just one of many that uh, you could look at and see what Jesus thought about working together. Uh, one of them is from the Gospel of Mark, and it's uh, in the ninth chapter, and it's the, uh, you've probably heard the, the story about the disciples arguing with each other about who's the greatest don't you love that when it takes place in a congregation? And uh, even if it's not happening out in front of everybody, uh, like those of us in congregational churches, it's usually happening in some meeting somewhere or someone's make, trying to make the better covered dish than the other in the potluck or whatever. It's on different levels. But they're arguing with each other about who is the greatest. And uh, Jesus corrects them on that. And, and they have just seen Jesus heal someone uh, to exercise a demon from somebody. And so they're walking along. Jesus is correcting them. And then um, they see that there is someone uh, over here that is doing the same kind of exorcism and they're doing it in Jesus' name. And they tell Jesus, Jesus, look at these guys over here. 
um, exercising a demon, and they're doing it in your name. And uh, why don't you stop them? Tell them to quit. Or let us go over there, and maybe like they wanted to do at other times, call fire down upon them and make them stop. And Jesus says, no, don't stop them. If they're not against us, then they're for us. That there is this important work that is to be done. It's like he was saying, don't you even care that this oppressed man is being uh, delivered from his oppression, that he is being healed? Don't you even care? I mean, does it really matter which one of us is doing it? Just as long as it's getting done? Jesus points them toward cooperation and partnership with one another. That the work of God in the world is not limited to a specific group. And we see this with Jesus. One of my favorite stories, one of the most challenging stories of Jesus is when he uh, is going outside of his boundaries. And he uh, encounters a woman, uh, a Canaanite woman, who uh, he has this discussion with. She's wanting him to come and, and to provide healing to her daughter. And there's this discussion that goes back and forth. And essentially, he uh, talks about her and her people being like little dogs. I mean, he calls them dogs. It's a horrible thing. I've heard Christian uh, ministers try to explain this in a whole lot of different ways. And I've been one of those who said, no, nah, he didn't really mean dog, maybe like a chihuahua or a cat. He, it's not quite as offensive as you think. But I think Jesus was changing. He was experiencing the reality that God is not limited to his religion. God is not limited to his group. That God is actually at work in that community. And so we understand uh, from all of our scripture that, that God desires for us to exist in love with one another. And Jesus would point them to that kind of cooperation. And we are to see that as well today, that we are partners together. And I want to thank you, all souls, for being the kind of church that values that partnership. And we see that. That's how we work together in uh, the Highland area with providing a, a meal to people every Thursday night uh, for at least 125 people. That not just... Uh, a few congregations, but people of all different faiths coming together and serving together. And as we all look at that, I believe we see something that is so unique that we just look and see that it has God all over it. When we come together and partner together, great things can happen. People who are oppressed can be delivered. People who are homeless can become housed. Those who are poor can find encouragement. Those who are sick can begin to experience healing. And the world will stop and take notice when we come together. So this is a great thing for us to be here today. It's an unusual thing, isn't it? Not just people of different religions, but black and white and Latino just a little bit of everybody. Gay, straight. I doubt there are any Republicans here, but Republicans and <laughs> Democrats. 
But it's a beautiful thing. We actually used to work together. Back um, in the uh, axial age, 800 to about 200, uh, Karen Armstrong, by the way, talks a lot about this in her book, The History of God. And she talks about how this was the development, the time, a pivotal time when the world religions developed. Uh, we had a reading from Lao Tzu uh, earlier, and uh, we have uh, heard from, from other uh, scripture here, some sacred um, words here today. Those religions were developing during this time, and they worked together. There was this uh, idea of compassion and being able to work together for the good of the whole. What happened to that? We continue to live in a way that divides us and pushes us into separate directions. As we consider what it means for us to work together, may we get back to that harmony that we could have with one another. As she calls it, it's a new axial age that we could live into that calls us to live beyond our systems and our institutions, that we might tap into the common humanity that we have, that we might understand what is in each of our own religions. We don't leave those to the side, but we embrace that part of those that can identify with the other. And that is love and justice, peace. These are the things that we ought to cherish. I remember uh, just something that took place across the street uh, with uh, Camp Forbing. Anybody remember when there used to be woods over there? I see Sabra Hicks here. She, she was the director when I was uh, over there one time with the Chamber of Commerce group. And the whole goal was to get us to work together on the ropes course. And uh, so we had people of all different sizes and shapes and ages, and it was just a, a crazy experiment. And uh, one of the things was to climb over a wall, and you know, you got to pull people over the wall. There was one person who never, we never could get over the wall. Um, but it was a great experience in trying to work together. And one of the things uh, that she challenged us to do was to, uh, you know, you get on those things where you walk together on those pieces of wood. You have two big uh, pieces of logs and you have ropes and you're uh, some of, about five of you are on one and five on the other and you're you're trying to walk ahead well we were just like this pile of people uh, I mean we, we were not working together and people were shouting out different things and you know the air was turning blue and we were trying to walk together and it was so difficult but once we started to say no no here's how we do it and to communicate and work together we were able to walk in common step. And we finally made it to our destination. I believe that is our challenge. And just with those of us gathered here today, we can make a difference in our world. Can we not? Through our commitment today to walk together. That when people say things against our Muslim brothers and sisters or our Jewish brothers and sisters or our Christian brothers and sisters or those who aren't even a part of one of our religious groups that we would say, no, this is not what God has intended. That the only way our world will move forward is if we move forward together. I believe there is a song that we are about to sing.
that uh, says this, let there be peace on earth and let it begin with me. Let there be peace on earth, the peace that was meant to be. With God as our Father, we are family. Let us walk with each other in perfect harmony. And so may it be.